but he he makes he makes a point about um, the various the various stages. There are he says there are three stages that um, that people tend to go through on their way to authentic existence. Uh, and he says the first the first one um, is the first one is is a form of hedonism. That basically what we're doing is we make our decisions based on the greatest happiness, whatever's going to give us the most joy. Mm. Um, so you you choose what you're going to have to eat on the basis of you know what tastes best, uh, how much of it am I going to get? Am I get a really big helping of this? Um, you know you decide who you're going to you know you decide who you're going to have a uh, intimate relation with an intimate relationship on the basis of the, you know I don't know how they look, the quality of the sex, I don't know whether they've got a decent bank balance. I mean I don't. Mm. Um, so you know you go that hedonistic route, and then he says ultimately um, that doesn't get that eventually you get to a point of just getting fed up with mm. that i mean as i said before i think you and i would at least like to have given that stage a try mm. um to see you know <laughs> whether or not that you know that that, that that hedonistic approach was not good I, I would have liked to have tried it myself rather than him telling me but he says you get to that point where you see you know and you see this don't you in, in the lifestyles of the of, of, of the rich and famous and so on they always they get to that point where it's kind of i've got all the i've bought all the yachts mm. now and i've you know and i've, I've you know um, I've got all the mansions and all the cars, and I've had all the kind of you know the, the partners I've ever wanted, and uh, and it's still not mm. enough. Um, so then what do we do? Well, then what you do is you you know you host band aid, or, <laughs> or you organise, or you know, or you organise you organise some 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 big kind of philanthropic yeah. event, or you you give money to charity, or you you, you pretend you're looking after the uh, looking after the the well being of mankind by you know launching spaceships up into into space. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff, um, uh, and then eventually, Kikas says, even that's not enough, because you know it doesn't matter how much you give away, no matter how much you help. Mm. Um, he says, you know, it's you, you still wake up one morning and go, it's just, it's just not, it's just not enough. There has to be, there has to be more. You know, you can be as, as good and ethical a person as you like, but uh, and he says, and finally, uh, you've got to find something, in a sense, off the grid, mm. um, something. And he says, you know, you've got to find something. You, the phrase he uses is you need to find something that you can live and die mm. for, uh, a truth that is true for you. Mm, mm. And that's what he said. Oh, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a truth that I can live and die for, a truth that is true for me. Uh, and he ultimately goes with, with the, the Christian tradition mm. uh, and just says, okay, I am now going to kind of throw myself into the arms of God. Um, I don't know whether there's a God there really or not. I'm just going to go with it and live my life that way. Um, and then if it works, then it's proof to me personally that it works. Um, in the same way as you know, you could say to somebody, "Oh, getting married is the great, the best thing ever." You know, being married is just the the business. You know, mm. you, yeah. um, you could say that to somebody from here to mm. to, to eternity, um, um, but they're never going to really know what it is because you can't communicate that that experience to them. They're going to have to do it, um, and that's a jump, yeah. that's a leap because they might do it and it might not be the same. It might not work out the same thing for them, uh, or they might do it and it might be exactly as you predicted, and they might not mm. like it. Um, but um, yeah, the truth of that. So because you've got yeah, um, you got to make the choice. Make so the choice. I was thinking of um, uh, Akira Kurosawa's film um, uh -huh. Ikiru, uh, it's mm. recently been remade with Bill Nye, called uh, Living, oh, yes. and yeah. um, recommend it because you know not mm. all remakes are, are great, but this one's good. Mm -hmm. So mm. It, he's the the central character is um, like a like a bureaucrat. In in uh, you know in in a um, like council office, uh, in in Japan and uh, in the in the uh, the English version, but he's he's like he's there. It, it, they, he calls him the, they call him the the zombie, 
Or the mummy. The mummy, <laughs> that's it. He just, he's got like a, in, in Japan you have like a hanko, which is like a stamp, like a seal. And the people come with him, come to him for, can you just st- stamp this thing? And, and he goes, and it goes away. And he's, he, he's kind of been living a half a life, not thinking about what he's doing. And this, like, there's a head of this bureaucracy. And it starts, there's um, a group of uh, uh, housewives. Uh, they want to, um, uh, it's like an old bomb site. They want to take, ch- 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 change it into uh, and they will clean up clean, clean it up and change it into like a mm. uh, playground um, but it needs to be you know sorted out with different departments you know someone's got to you know, clean up all the you know the mess someone's got to build the stuff blah 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 so they go to his department and say well that's not our department it's uh, you have to go to waterworks whatever and then they go to waterworks and they say well no that's not we don't deal with that you have to go to this other, other place and they go in a big circle uh, anyway, so meanwhile, this guy, um, this this bureaucrat, old bu- bureaucrat, he finds out that he's got um, terminal cancer. He's going to die of stomach cancer. Um, so then he goes through these stages, like you you suggest. So after obviously being distraught and and worried, he, and um, being kind of he, he tries to go to his son, who is kind of been ignoring for for many years, and his son is kind of just interested in. Um, uh, when is his? He doesn't know his, his father's going to die, but when his father's dies, he's going to get the house, whatever. That's what he. That's because his his father's not shown him any, effect, any affection. But um, he it, he doesn't tell his his son is going to die, but he overhears them talking about the inheritance. You know? So then he he goes into the into the night. Uh, what what can you do? What what is the meaning of his existence? Because he's been doing this like you know faceless job for these many years. Um, so one of the first things he does, he meets he meets with a, an um, an author, which could be a philosopher really, you know, as philosopher. Okay, what's it? And the philosopher's like all excited. What well, is a great opportunity here? Mm. What can? How can we? Uh, how can we uh, discover what's what's the what's the real meaning of life? So they they go for the you know, like you say the hedonistic phase, and they you know they they eat. Like, you can't really eat much food, but they they drink. They go to like a strip club, I guess, and then fight. You know, all this like um, immediate pleasure, um, and that's in the end. It just makes him more depressed, you know, because it's empty. There's nothing there for him, um, and then he discovers um, uh, a, a young girl who's uh, who worked for him resigns, and she goes to work for a factory or something like that. And he he's fascinated with her kind of um, uh, what's the French word? Chardevri? What is that? Like um, yeah. She loves. She likes. She likes life. She's really happy and she's bubbly Mm. and and exciting. And he's really attracted to her that life force. You know, one of the things that Mm. that she says to him: "You not you don't you know you don't like me. You don't fancy me." He said, "No, no, no. I just I'm attracted to your. You know, you 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 go through life and you're you're finding joy. She works in a factory, but she." And he asks her, well, how, you go, you know, do you, you work in a factory, isn't that, you know, every day the same thing? And she says, no, like, I'm building toy rabbits, and I imagine all the little children in, in Japan playing with this rabbit, and, you know, I'm giving something, whatever. And that ultimately comes, her, his relationship with her comes to an end, because he keeps trying to, like, go out of it, I'll, I'll take you to dinner, because he's quite rich, I'll take you to dinner, I'll go with you. And, and in the end, he's... Uh, she's like, I've had enough of this, you know. It's you need to do something else. So he's he's then looks 
at his immediate life. And this is something I think is the kind of big message because we're always kind of looking outside ourselves, aren't we? Uh, I don't like mm. my job, but it's boring. Oh, I need to find something else. Need something else. And uh, he realised that he, he, if he just goes back into his, his job, he'd get this bloody playground built. Yeah, it's not even to do with charity, uh, as much as it, he he has something he can do. He has like um, you know, to create something, and he and he goes to the different departments, and there's even some um, you know corruption. Like a wall of corruption, and mm. and um, that uh, someone says to him, "Aren't you angry? Uh, these people, are, these they're despicable, aren't they?" He said, "I haven't got time to be angry. There's no time for that." So he just keeps going, he keeps going, he keeps going, and then finally he builds this playground. And um, the um, the ending is him on the swing. I think it's snowing, mm. and it's just like uh, sublime. This is perfect. This, this is the, he's create. He's he's gone into the you know in, into his everyday life and found something that's has lots of meaning. You know, he's he's, he's like a um, opportunity, isn't it? It's opportunity all all the time. And 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 uh, it's a great film. It's a really good uh, remake. Um, and I think that's something you can take away is in your everyday life. Is there something, you know, I'm going to go to the office again, I'm going to do this, I'm going to talk to that person. Can you find mm. something to give it kind of, uh, find joy in everything, every little thing? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that, that, that mirrors quite, quite nicely. Um, certainly Kierkegaard's, um, reaction to, well, particularly to Heidegger, not Heidegger, Hegel, mm. sorry, Hegel. Um, um, he he and Hegel did not care for each mm. other, and uh, and he was you know he was constantly having a go at Hegel, and he, I mean both both of them talked about spirit and about kind of human beings being spirit in some way or another, um, but for Kierkegaard, um, Hegel's understanding was far too was far, was far too um, deterministic. Mm. So he said you know. It's as far as Hegel is concerned, um, there is this kind of this is inevitable dialectic. Uh, we are part of a much bigger universal spirit, um, which is coming to this awareness of itself. We are part of this, and we are kind of carried along in the in this big big kind of dialectical um, process to a kind of an end an end point, some sort of nirvana where the whole of the universe come becomes aware of itself in a, in a kind of almost in a kind of um uh pantheistic sort of way uh, uh, and Kierkegaard hated this because it 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 it, it devalues individual existence mm. um you know he says you know the individual existence which is where i think probably where existentialism become where the term um flows from the idea of individual existence is vital, not not unrelated, not that we don't have you know connections with other people, um, but we we create our own lives mm. um, by just you know by by doing things in the world. I mean Heidegger says this as well. You know we're not we're not talking about you know uh, I'm not trying to figure out you know uh, what we are, but what we mm. do. You know not not what we uh, you know what we are uh, you know what we ought to be, but what we ought to do. Um, and he said that's that's what I that he said that's that's the essence of it. And existentialists seem to be far more about doing than being. Mm. Um, uh, and you know, so Kierkegaard, would be, Kierkegaard, for example, would say, well, 
Um, you are um, doing a podcast every few Sunday afternoons, mm. and um, not you, you are not a parent. You are um, doing parenty things. Mm. You know, so kind of, you know, giving your kids cuddles and playing with them and helping with their homework and telling them to eat their greens and that sort of stuff. All of that, um, doing these things is, is what makes us what we are. Uh, and bit by bit, it, it and, and for Kikar, we're never finished. I and mean, that's that's the that's the kind of part, the partial tragedy of, of, of human existence that we never finished. Um, so, um, you know, whereas Heide, as far as Heidegg's concerned, we will eventually be finished because even if we pass away, our spirit is part of this kind of big um, development. Um, whereas with, with individuals, with individual existence as Kikar, you never kind of know where you're mm. going to end up. Uh, uh, and there's more, there's more, there's more to explore. There's more kind of wonder in that, he says, than than in any of these these overly rationalist uh, perspectives, which try and tell you where you're going or tell you what path to take. And yeah, he despised Hegel <laughs> <laughs> for that. Yeah, it's interesting, is because it's um, you don't want to be pulled along by life. You know what I mean? It's like mm. uh, you mm. can you can be <laughs> you can oh, you, you can set. Set certain things in motion. I'll get this job. I'll, uh, I'll marry this person, and then just I'll just go mm. along and be pulled along with it. You have to be within it, and it, like you say, doing it. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. I agree. Um, I mean, that's you know, this is why you you get you get people like um, I'm trying to think one of the um, um, one of the the. Uh, existentialists. I've, met, I've mentioned a number of existentialist theologians. Actually, they do seem to they do seem to have kind of um, you know the Christian tradition did seem to kind of latch onto existentialism. Mm. Certainly in the in the twentieth century, uh, in a way that it's never ha- you know uh, latched onto any other philosophy other than Plato. Mm. Um, so, kind of Platonic philosophy was very popular in the early stages of Christianity um, because it 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 seemed like an obvious match. Mm. You know, the idea of the spiritual world being more important than the physical world and us having a spiritual dimension and all that kind of stuff. Um, that seemed to be a match, and so you got a lot, you, you did get a lot of Platonism. But I think it was existentialism was the only other time I think I've seen such a big influence. And there was a, a famous um, a famous philosopher, uh, uh, theologian called um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, and it's often people, it's often kind of, uh, Bart Bultmann and Bonhoeffer, the three mm. Bs that were recognised as the big existentialist theologians of the 20th century, and contributed you know, hugely to, to the philosophy as well as to the um, um, as, to, as, as to theology. Uh, but Bonhoeffer um, argued for. I mean, he was incredible, really. I mean, he argued against um, a pre a preoccupation with orthodoxy. Mm. Um, he said it's not so much about what you know, it's about how you behave. Um, he says a lot of people who who, who spend their time um, um, strutting up and down with their with their orthodox beliefs and arguing about every kind of you know dot and every on every i and every kind of cross on every t, um, and they congratulate themselves on that. Or people who who you know congratulate themselves on you know going to church in a new hat and looking smart every every mm. Sunday uh, and knowing all the hymns and and you know that sort of stuff. And he said, but that's you know that's just going through the motions. So that's not that's not that's not authentic. Mm. Um, that's just kind of doing what's expected. That's just playing the game. Um, and he, say, he says that true, the authentic faith, and he's following Kierkegaard in many respects here. He's saying that you know true authentic faith um, 
and this is the interesting one, which people found scandalous at the time because I don't think they got it. Um, uh, he says the, the most, in, the, the more authentic faith is is a living in the world as if there were no God. Mm. Um, so he says, what you do is you don't kind of do stuff because you think, oh God will be pleased with me if I do that, um, or you know people will see me as as as, as you know, spiritual or religious if I do such mm. and such. You behave in the world. Um, without any of that as a background, you behave. I mean, again, fairly Kantian in some way. You, you behave in the world in the way you want. No virtue, virtue um, signaling. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And he said, you know, that he, he called. He 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 said there was this distinction. The, the distinction between what he called cheap and costly grace. Um, um, and he said, you know, cheap grace is 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 when when people you, know, you go to church, sing the songs. Um, yeah, so you know, the Tory party at prayer mm. sort of sort of thing um and costly grace is when you're doing stuff which actually which which will actually kind of you know um have an existential impact on you which actually means that you know you somehow have you, you might have to kind of sacrifice your your son even if you don't understand it you may have to do stuff that that doesn't make sense to the rest of the world but makes sense mm. to you uh and bonhoeffer was was um was so convinced of this that um um he was i think he was in in america when war broke out because you could see that people were saying, oh, get out, see the writings on the wall. And he came back. He came back to Germany and started teaching. And then they, uh, uh, and you know, the, the Gestapo kind of shut him down and removed his teaching license and stuff because he wouldn't, he wouldn't validate um, the Führer's um, attempt to kind of add religious mm. respectability to the war. Um, and he eventually, you know, he was involved in a, apparently he was involved in, um, and the plot against in the plot against Hitler's life uh, uh, amongst those, you know, I think Rommel and a number of others tried to kind of put a uh, briefcase with a bomb in it under his table during some meeting or other. And I think he was involved in in that. Uh, and his attitude was, you know, these are not. This is not an immoral thing to do. This is an existential mm. decision that I've made here um, to live, you know, authentically as a Christian in the world. Uh, and this this seemed to me to be the right thing to do. Um, and you know, he was prepared to take you know, take the difficult. To make the difficult choices, not just the ones that seem comfortable, mm. but to make to make the you know to make the difficult choices. Um, and eventually, he was put in a concentration camp, and and, and he was killed. But um, yeah, uh, you know, an, an incredible individual um, um, who was you know who was prepared to live out the life that that, 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 that he believed in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well worth having a little look about Bonhoeffer, even if you're not interested in in Christian theology or whatever. He never he didn't live long enough really to write a kind of you know very serious theology so a lot of it is kind of you know essays papers he wrote letters he wrote to people and so on um and people picked up on these 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 um these great sound bites and and just um took them out of all context mm. uh, i mean there was there was um john robbins a guy called john robinson who was a bishop i live i live in, in just just up the road from woolwich mm. uh and one of the uh, the bishops the bishop of woolwich was a guy called john robinson mm-hmm. uh who who um um wrote a small book on popularizing Bonhoeffer's theology, um, and he was you know castigated in the press and you know right thinking with his people were kind of like throwing things at him and so on um, because on the face of it, it almost when you, when you say things like you live in the world as if there is no god it 's kind of oh well you don 't think there 's a god do you um, or uh, uh, he talked about um, following Bonhoeffer he talked about religionless Christianity, and he said you know you 've got to take the religion out of it. <laughs> Um, because that because that just gives you a structure. It gives you a kind of a formal mm. metaphysic, um, which gives you a safety blanket. It gives you a kind of you know it gives you a kind of a a, um, a, a kind of an authoritative um, script, and you need to kind of you need to ditch mm. that um, and just kind of you know live the, you know live an authentic Christian life um, from day to mm. day 
um, um, however that might look. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so John Robinson was 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 you know was the bad boy of of nineteen sixties theology. I'm trying to remember what his "Honest to God" it was called. Oh, what a good title! Honest to God. That's a great title, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So John Robinson wrote this this book. Yeah, and it was called "Honest to God," uh, and it was a real kind of um, yeah. It was a real it was a real um, um, shake up. Find a lot of, of well-meaning Christians, you know, borrowed from existentialism, borrowed from the work of, of Paul Tillich, who was another existential theologian. Um, and it talked about kind of God being the ground of our being, um, which confused a lot of people. You know, what exactly does that mean? You know, rather than, you know, old man in the sky. So we need to get away mm. from that. Drawing on the likes of Baltman, you know, we, this idea of the old man in the sky, that was an image that made sense to the people of that era. And that doesn't make sense to us now. We don't have that. But it's hard, it's hard for them to grasp the idea that metaphor can be more truthful than, you know, something that's objective. Mm. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so any, anybody interested in that sort of stuff, you know, that that's uh, an interesting piece of intellectual history. Um, and I can remember, you know, as um, I can remember being at school in, in early secondary school in a in a um, in an RE lesson, and the RE teacher coming in incensed. And saying, oh, I've just read this. I mean, it came out in, in the sixties, and I wasn't in, in secondary school since, since the seventies. But he said, I've oh, still I've just read this recently, and he's written another book as well. It's, it's, it's <laughs> oh, brilliant! Table. Really? Then that makes yeah. you instantly interested. School. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got to read this. Yeah, I've still got a copy kicking around somewhere. Mm. Really? Then that makes yeah. you instantly interested. School. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got to read this. Yeah, I've still got a copy kicking around somewhere. <laughs> 